all of you here today. My name's Emily Wood. Some of you know me because I'm the women's director here at First Pres. I'm also a mother and a wife and a daughter and a sister and a friend, just like many of you. And I am not, well, I do not have it all together. <laughs> so I get impatient with my family when they're running late or when I want them to respond quickly. I crave comfort and control, and I've never preached a sermon until today. Although my husband and kids would say I've preached plenty of times. Um, but today, as I prepared, I was just reminded that I'm imperfect, so were all of you, so was Esther that we're going to talk about today. But God uses imperfect people, doesn't he? He uses us to accomplish his work on this earth. And so here I am. I'm just going to trust him to do what he wants to do. I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to speak into your hearts. So today we're going to talk about Esther. You've probably heard that line, you were made for such a time as this. What stood out to me as I really dug deep into Esther, and I've liked Esther for a long time, but I've never studied it this much. So I really enjoyed the process. And a few things stood out to me that I maybe wouldn't have noticed before, and I want to give them with you to take home today. So the first one is this. You are in the right place. The second one is you are right on time. Some of you may struggle with that one. The third one is you are ready. Don't convince yourself otherwise. Please pray with me. Lord, thank you for a new day full of your mercy and your grace. Will you open up your word and speak to us today? Holy Spirit, please inspire your words into our hearts. Thank you for being all that we need and all that I need to get up here and share. Lord, your presence is our greatest gift. So thank you for being with us as we gather today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to open our Bibles to Esther 4. If you have a Red Pew Bible, it's on page 522. As we do that, I want to draw attention to Esther's role as a leader, as a woman, back in 480 B.C., when women had very little voice and very little power. But she was so courageous, and she made such an impact by saving the Jewish people that a whole book of the Bible is named after her. I'm really honored to get to share her story with you today. I also just want to share a little bit of my story and say how thankful I am for our church and how we care for women and value women so much that y'all were willing to hire me as the women's director here. And I just want to point out our senior pastor Howard and all of our pastors have always given me a voice and a seat at the table, even when I'm the only woman at that table. They don't seem to mind. I'm forever grateful for this generous and inclusive treatment of women. It's been really life-giving to me. I know some of you women out in this congregation, y'all feel the same way that I do. So we're going to start with Esther 4, verse 1. And we begin with, When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. Okay, we're going to pause right there because we're going to read all of chapter 4, but I want to give you the background so you know who is Mordecai, why is he crying. 
So, first of all, the book of Esther is a narrative. It's meant, to be, it's meant to be read from beginning to end. You can't just pick out pieces of it. So I'm going to do that hard work of summarizing the whole book for you today. So, um, it documents the origins of the Jewish holiday, holiday of Purim, which celebrates the story that we're going to talk about today. Um, it's also interesting to note that nowhere in the Bible is God's name mentioned. Sorry. God's name's mentioned all over the Bible. Nowhere in the book of Esther is the name of God mentioned. I think that's very interesting. He is always working behind the scenes in this book, and his character and who he is is woven throughout this book, but his name's not mentioned. Now, this might mirror a little bit how Jews felt in exile in Persia, where this story takes place. Maybe they felt God was absent. Maybe you feel like God is absent today as well. So I'm going to kind of give you a really brief overview of this story. So we're in 480 BC. King Ahasuerus, which is King Xerxes in Greek, he rules over Persia, which is all, it's the largest empire the world has ever seen. It's huge. He gets rid of Queen Vashti because she won't parade before a bunch of drunk men at a seven-day party that he holds. But a little time passes, and he misses his wife and his queen, and so he decides to hold a pretty messed-up version of a beauty pageant. Beautiful young virgins throughout the provinces are taken from their homes. They're, they take part in one year of beauty treatments, all in order to, to spend one night with the king. Now, there's about 400 of these women, girls, that we think are taken. This is how they compete to win the title of queen. Now, when I was a kid, I really think I saw this more as a really wonderful beauty pageant. And the king came, and he picked the one, and it was love at first sight. But that's not really what happens in this story. These girls were 14 or 15 years old. Uh, they didn't get a choice. They were taken from their homes. And the king was about 40 years old, so not quite as romantic. In Esther 2.17, we learn about a Jewish girl named Esther who's living in exile in Persia, and she becomes queen of the empire because the king is most pleased with her. She has hidden her Jewish identity up until this point. She's never mentioned it because her cousin Mordecai asked her not to. Mordecai adopts Esther because she doesn't have any parents anymore, and he's a father figure to her. Now, there's one more person we need to talk about, and that's Haman. He's the second-in-command Persian official, and he has convinced the king to send out a royal decree to kill all the Jews. This would be all Jews in the world at this time because Mordecai won't bow down to him when he walks by. Yes, this guy has a huge ego problem. So at this point, leading up to Esther 4, King Xerxes has just agreed to Haman's request to send out a decree to all the king's provinces to kill all the Jews, young and old, women and children, not knowing that his own wife is Jewish. So this is why Mordecai's crying. So let's go on to verse 2, Esther 4, verse 2. He, Mordecai, went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. 
When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa, which is the city they're in right now, for their destruction, the Jews' destruction, that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king and beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai said. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes that Esther was named queen to the king who wants to kill all of her people, isn't it? So God puts us in specific places and specific situations for a reason. So here's our first takeaway. I don't know if y'all remember it yet, but you are in the right place. Do you know why? Because God placed you here. So for Esther and Mordecai, they were actually Jews in exile in Persia by choice at this point. In, um, let's see, in 2 Chronicles 36, we learn about Cyrus, king of Persia, inviting all the exiled Jews to return to Israel. For some reason, Mordecai and Esther didn't go. We're not sure why, except that now we know that God had a plan for them to remain in Persia. You'll hear more about that in a minute. But I want to ask y'all, do you believe that you're in the right place right now? Or are you trying to hide? Are you fighting that? Do you want to escape where you are right now? Esther was definitely fighting it. I don't know if y'all remember what Esther 4.11 said, but she said, But I have not been called to the king for 30 days. Now, those of us who got to go to the all-church retreat with John Ortberg this year, y'all might remember that but I story that he told, and I just want to recap it briefly. Uh, he talked about but I declarations and how common they are in the Bible. So think about all the people who argued back to God when he called them to do something. Moses, Gideon, Jeremiah, Peter, there's lots more. They all argued about why they couldn't do something God was asking them to do. What Orberg said was, God never denies the truth of the inadequacy. It is true that they can't do it. And yet God regularly asks people to do things they cannot do. But God... 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Remember Joseph, whose brother sold him into slavery? Then he ended up in Egypt. He ended up saving his family and the Jewish people. If y'all remember, he told his brothers, You intended to harm me, but God used this for good and for the saving of many lives. So Ortberg summarizes this whole topic with, but God summarizes the heart of the entire Bible. Certainly summarizes Esther's story here. So I'm going to get to our second point, and some of you might disagree with me, but you are right on time. Now, if you're always late, you think 
this doesn't apply to you, but you are right on time, and do you know why? Because God's timing is perfect, even when he seems incredibly slow. So let's get back to the rest of the story. I'm going to very much condense this, so I really want y'all to go home and read Esther today. Esther goes before the king. She really does think she's going to die. Remember, she had that but I, but I haven't been called in 30 days. But God was working behind the scenes, and the king held out his scepter to Esther, and she was spared. Esther goes on to request that the king spares her people. She tells him about how she's Jewish, and in the end, the Jews are spared as well. Now, the significance of this is that our enemy, Satan, through Haman, was trying to eradicate the Jewish population, which is God's chosen people, from the face of the earth. He failed because of Esther, because the position God put her in and her courage. The Feast of Purim was inaugurated to celebrate this. Jews celebrate this story every year. Every year they read Esther out loud. So this is a pretty big deal. Um, I encourage you to really go home and read the rest because God's perfect timing is throughout the book of Esther. So she was right on time because she waited and she fasted. Did y'all catch that? She didn't jump right into action and try to save the day, even though Mordecai was very clearly pushing her to jump in and save the day. No, she waited and she fasted. Are you willing to wait? I want to make it clear that God is the true hero and the silent protagonist in the book of Esther. We never hear his name, but he is always working behind the scenes to accomplish his will, to accomplish his will on the earth. I want to remind you he's still doing this today, even if it's hard for us to see. So, we're going to I think I have this up on the screen. 2 Peter 3:9. 2 Peter 3:9. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord's not slow, but he's patient. So what does that mean for us today? How do we embrace a God that we have to wait on? So our third takeaway, I don't know if y'all will remember, but it's you are ready don't convince yourself otherwise. Now, God is calling you to action. You're in the right place. It is the right time. You're right on time, and you are ready. Esther was ready as well, wasn't she? But she just didn't know it. So I'm guessing some of y'all are asking, well, ready for what? Or what is my such a time as this? I know for me, a lot of times when I hear call to action, I think, I gotta go fix things. I gotta go achieve something. I need to be successful in this. Uh, but if we go back to Esther, go all the way back to 480 BC, in order to succeed, she waited on God and she fasted. Uh, in 2022, I really want to point out that I think God's calling us to do the exact same thing. I can basically guarantee these two practices will help you answer your question of calling or what am I ready for? They've certainly helped me. And if you read the book of Acts, you'll notice this pattern of people waiting and praying and fasting. The Holy Spirit shows up and amazing things happen, and it's a consistent pattern. So let's talk about the why behind fasting and waiting. 
At the beginning of this message, you may remember that I said I'm impatient, and I really like comfort, and I like control. <laughs> so the reason I fast is to remember it's not all about me. Does anybody else need that reminder today? I fast so I can get out of the way and put God in the center. The reason why I practice waiting is so I don't keep doing and doing and trying to fix. Now, I'm not going to go into tons of detail on fasting today, but come talk to me later if you want to talk about it. I was introduced to this practice when I was 22 um, and a senior in college at Baylor, and I've seen the power of God more in this practice than any other. To willingly deny myself through fasting humbles me, and it reminds me God doesn't actually need me to do anything. The world slows down, and God shows up in amazing ways. So again, if you're interested, I have all kinds of resources. I don't really have time to share them all, but this is something I'm really passionate about. So let's talk about the practice of waiting. I'm gonna pause for a moment because y'all knew I would have to plug a women's event, and we have the women's retreat coming up in September. It's gonna be down on Sixth and Polk at the Barfield Hotel, very cool hotel, very close to here, and our topic is waiting on God. So, I also want to set the record straight. A couple of weeks ago during a sermon, Howard made a point about the women's retreat being so expensive. The truth is, we are under budget. Thank you very much. <laughs> He's already listened to 8.30 and said, okay, okay. So, um, so, wait is also my word for this year. And I've been marinating in this practice lately. Please note, I'm talking about waiting as an action, even though I think a lot of you hate this word, you dread it, and you think it means doing nothing. No, <laughs> we wait so we can hear God. This is the part of prayer where we're silent and God does the talking. This is the part where we just get to be with him with no agenda. I'm going to argue this is the best part of prayer, so if you haven't tried it, I would highly recommend it. Uh, I'm going to read to y'all a quote that I think will also go up on the screen by Adele Calhoun in the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. This quote is, Waiting is all about staying in the present moment with God. Waiting with God is where we learn how to be happy when we don't get our own way. It's where we get practice in learning how to forgive reality for being different than we want. Waiting is where we learn how to forgive people for being their less-than-perfect selves, and waiting is where we learn how to forgive God for not being like a magician, a conjurer, or a wizard. Waiting with God teaches us to let go of our expectations so we can receive what is given. We wait and we fast because God is the true hero, not us. If we want an active role to play in the story that he's writing in each of our lives, but in this world, we need to be connected to him. So I want to share a quick modern-day Esther story that takes place in Ukraine, well, actually Poland. So I read this in Christianity Today, and I just had to share it. It's a story about a woman named Julia Sachenko. She leads the Ukraine branch of A21, which is an uh, anti-human trafficking organization started by Christine Kane. This is a great organization. It's global. So Julia and her team had to flee Ukraine, February 24th, when Russia attacked, just like many people did, six million refugees had to flee. Her husband's a pastor, and he stayed back in Ukraine. Julia took her kids to safety. When she finally got into Poland, 
She looked around and saw all the chaos and the women and the children being separated from their husbands because many of the men have to stay in Ukraine and fight. And she knew with her and her team's background in fighting human trafficking, she saw immediately how much they were needed. The article quotes her as saying, I don't think God brought us to Poland by chance. We are here for such a time as this. Isn't that amazing? God is always working behind the scenes. I'll never forget hearing an Egyptian pastor share at an eco church conference we went to. He said, the rise and fall of nations is the scaffolding upon which Christ builds his church. May it be so, Lord. And as I read this and prayed about it with some friends, we, we thought of this idea, something we can pray for. God could really use an Esther in Russia right now, couldn't he? So as you walk out of here today, I'm praying you'll remember your three takeaways. You are in the right place, you are right on time, and you are ready. I'm also praying you'll ask God how you could pra begin practicing prayer or waiting, which is part of prayer, and fasting. Esther used this centuries ago. Believers have used it ever since to connect with God and to follow his leading. God will not let you miss his best plan for your life as long as you're following him. So I'd like to close with a message that my friend Kim Clark shared with me. She's somewhere over there. And it's helped me prepare for today, and it's a message for all of us. Here's what she said. The Lord doesn't wait for us to become the epitome of a disciplined Christ follower. We are already in him, part of the family, like Esther is part of the Jewish family. She grew to be confident in her position with the Father God. That's why he gave her courage to risk her life to save her family. I'll bet you'd be willing to risk yours for the same reason. And this is how Esther is a dim mirror of Jesus who gave his life to save all humanity. You are in the family. His spirit is at work in you. Just like Esther, you are courageous. You were made for such a time as this.